One of the first times I spoke about it online, it's kind of like every time I've been a little bit vulnerable, it's sort of helped me. Like, so the first time I spoke about incontinence online, I just wanted to vomit and I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm talking about this on the internet, this is awful. But then once I had that validation of other people speaking about it, it just, I don't know, it just helped me shed that kind of shame. So many people who are disabled have so much shame around it. Hi and welcome to Feeling Yourself, the podcast that encourages you to shed your shame. I'm Natalie Lee and like most of us, shame has followed me around for most of my life. Now I'm on a journey to sexual freedom and I want you to join me. Each week I'll be speaking to you and some incredible guests about the themes in my book Feeling Myself. From masturbation to motherhood, from trauma to porn, I want us to dig deep and find our true voice in a world that shames us and that certainly doesn't make our pleasure a priority. Now let's release the shame and get you feeling yourself. Hello, my lovely. Hello, darling. How are you? I am very, very excited for our chat. It's like, ugh, I've just wanted to get my hands on you and talk to you. That sounds so creepy. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to try and be professional. And on your Instagram uh, bio, you've got the Will Housewife of Essex, a bit gobby, the disabled stepmom you never knew you needed. And I just love that. I think it's brilliant. It does really sum you up because how I feel about you is like, I just love your Essex accent, first of all. And I love the way you don't fuck about with your words. Stop it. Don't stop it. Keep going. It's lovely. (laughs) How would you describe yourself? Don't make me describe myself. (laughs) Yeah, that was pretty cruel, wasn't it? Just that, exactly what you said. I agree. I'm all of those things. No, I don't know. Um, I'm of the age now. I'm 41, you know, a fair amount of life experience. And I do think I kind of just bring this maternal sort of thing to my page. When it first started happening and people kept saying, oh my God, I look at you like my mum. I was like, what do you mean? Because I'm like, and then I embraced it. (laughs) And I was like, fine, okay. So obviously, you know, I talk about disability, but I do like to do it in a way that is going to engage people if possible, because a lot of people aren't interested. So if I can kind of bring them in and get people to see things in a different way and challenge their perceptions of what they think a disabled person is or a disabled life is, then yeah, that all makes me very happy. So... One of the things I like to do at the start is to understand a little bit about what makes you feel yourself, hence the name. So I asked you to bring an item that makes you feel fabulous and good and possibly sexy, whatever it is that makes you feel yourself. Did you bring that? I did. I bought my necklace, which is my disabled and proud gold necklace. And this makes me feel myself because it kind of goes against what you're supposed to feel. You know, you're not supposed to be disabled and proud. You're supposed to be disabled and very sad and upset about it and very miserable and tragic. So, you know, I like to wear my necklace 
normally like to have a bit of a low cut on, you know, and just be like, yeah, I'm disabled and proud. What are you going to do about it? I love that. I'm a little bit disappointed. I'm not seeing more cleavage, but we'll come to that another time, maybe. No, I think, I think I'll undo some buttons as we go along, <laughs> just as we get into it. So... I gave you a list of topics, which was the chapter of my book, Feeling Myself. And what uh, topic did you pick? I picked orgasms straight away. Love an orgasm. You did. um, You did. I pounced on that with glee. (laughs) Give me the orgasms. (laughs) And I think that is a great one. So listen, I'm going to read just a short snippet from the orgasm chapter to lead us into our chat. My inability to orgasm, at least in the way I deemed to be normal or acceptable, was not something I talked about with friends or even my boyfriends. Instead, it was a shame I buried deep inside. Revealing it would be like admitting I was broken. I didn't want to make it known that sex left me feeling constantly disappointed. Of course, I loved the physical intimacy, I got a buzz of seeing my partner enjoy himself and be turned on by me. And I definitely did experience waves of pleasure and sensation. But the deep rooted belief that there was something fundamentally wrong with me held me back from enjoying sex as much as I could have. So that's just one little snippet. And I think a lot of women do experience difficulties with orgasming sometimes. And I did. And I really did feel like there was something wrong with me. Tell me about your relationship with orgasms. How has it been easy? Has there ever been any difficulties? Tell me about that. I was born disabled. I'm just going to sort of start there. But I didn't start using a wheelchair until like four years ago. So for the most part of my life, you wouldn't have known I was disabled unless you took my clothes off because I've got like a big scar on my back and I've got like a limb limb difference in my toes and stuff like that. I always felt like I had a really pretty face, but that side of it kind of let me down. So I was always so grateful for any sort of attention. So I lost my virginity when I was 16 and it was all very much about the guy. Like, is he enjoying it? Keep the things I could keep hidden, hidden. I'd also sort of started using it around 16 as well, like an intermittent catheter. So when I need to go to the loo, it's a bit like, it looks like a thin straw. I insert that, that's how I go to the loo. And I'd always had this really big worry that if I really relax, that I'm going to wet myself. And, you know, not realising at 16 how messy and gross and wonderful sex can be anyway. But I just felt like I was there to kind of, get the guy off I suppose you know that was my job and if I did I'd be like yeah you know I'm not I'm I am worth something which oh god it just makes me cringe now and I think for most of my relationships I went in like that that I'm here just to make sure you have loads of pleasure and therefore that makes gives me some sort of worth and It's only been, I mean, meeting Jace was one thing, but I'm not going to give him all the credit for it. My ability to have really good sex and a lot of orgasms now is partly because he's great and lovely and one of the few nice straight white men. But it's mainly because I have become relaxed in my body. I've realised that actually it doesn't matter if I wet myself when I orgasm sometimes because... 
orgasms are messy and some women, you know, ejaculate and there's all this stuff debate over is that female ejaculation? Is that just we? But it doesn't matter because, you know, sex is messy. And the more relaxed I have become and since using a wheelchair, it's kind of like as soon as I got in that wheelchair, I was chucked out of the box marked what is kind of sexy, what is acceptable. You know, those two things don't go together. And at first I was a bit miffed about it. And then I was like, well, actually, this is really freeing. And I've gained weight over the last few years and I love it. I never thought I'd love my big belly and my big thighs and think that that was really sexy. And just the more I have just gone, I love myself, the more I've just been able to have some really amazing orgasms. Mm, That is wonderful. I love that you've gone on a real sort of, I'm going to be cliche here, journey with your orgasms. But thinking about the 16-year-old you, that I feel really sad. I feel really, really sad because I know as a 16-year-old how fucking difficult it is enough to be vulnerable and have sex and worry about, you know, your roles or your cellulite and to have to worry about wetting yourself, what they thought about your body and how it looked. It's really difficult. How did you process that psychologically? Did you get any support or anything? As a teenager, I didn't deal with it. I took a lot of drugs, slept around a lot, self-harmed, like all of that sort of stuff. And I didn't really calm down until I had my first son when I was 25. And then I was sort of with somebody then. Yeah, so I kind of stopped being such a little terror and sort of damaging myself in that way once I'd had a baby because suddenly like, oh my God, I love you more than I love me. So I've really got to take care of me for you type thing. But yeah, navigating all of that as a teenager. And I look now and I thought, I was a baby. I was 16, I was a baby and just had all of this stuff going on. And I just want to go and give her this big hug and, you know, and just say to her, you are great, you're fine. You know, just, yeah. Mm, Yeah, me too. I want to give her a big hug too. But do you remember when you first had an orgasm? I remember when it must have been about 1992 or 93. You're the same age as me, aren't you? Yes, I am. In about 90, I think it must have been 1993, um, me and my friends had all gone back to my house at lunchtime and found my sister's VHS copy of The Lover's Guide. Do you remember The Lover's Guide? It was awful. It was just the most, this one scene really, really, I still can remember it. It was where a man is getting dressed in the morning and he puts his shirt and tie on first, not his pants and trousers. And then, you know, the woman goes in and pleasures him. But even at 12 years old, I was like, surely you wouldn't put your shirt and tie on first and just leave it all hanging out. It felt weird. Anyway... I think it was at some point after that is when I started getting curious about sort of myself and what would feel nice and what wouldn't. But I don't actually remember if I had an orgasm. I remember I started trying like experimenting with masturbating then, but I don't know if I had an orgasm or not, because I think in my head I was so confused of, am I going to wet myself still, this kind of feeling, because it's all very similar in a lot of ways. And I just think it always kind of held me back. So I don't think I actually remember my first proper orgasm so it couldn't have been that good I really struggled to remember my first orgasm as well I don't know exactly when it was 
But I, what I do remember is humping teddies when I was about, I don't know, like six or seven, maybe with a friend. So I remember like trying to pleasure myself that way. And then it just kind of, I think I just kind of forgot about it because we're not taught that we deserve pleasure and should be pleasured. And I think that's one of the things I am really, really fucking passionate about, especially with my daughters. It's like, no, you have a right to pleasure and you need to like take ownership of that right to pleasure and make sure you can do it by yourself. Make sure when you're with somebody else that that comes into the scenario as well. Did you ever have that kind of, you know, touching yourself before you even knew what your clitoris was or what anything like that? No, because like you say, I mean, and especially of our generation as well, you know, I was never told, hey, you know, masturbation feels really great. Give that a go. You know, we were never sort of told about that. It was always, you know, you'd always hear about male pleasure. So for a long time, if I had sort of one orgasm in a relationship, I'd be like, wow, lucky me. <laughs> and then that would be it. I never demanded more. I never even thought I was capable of more. Certainly not the amount that I have now. It was just never my in my brain that I was capable of having all of this pleasure. It still had this thing of, well, no, it's, it's a bit shameful. It's a bit shameful. Like, why would you do that? It's, yeah, and I think mm. I carried that with me for mm. a long time. Yeah, I Sorry, know. Sorry, I was going to say, like, with your kids, and I, I know, obviously, I've got all boys, but I've always brought them up. We've never been like, Ugh, stop touching yourself. That's great. You know, we've never done that. We've always, from a very young age, been like, oh, that feels really nice. Yeah, that, that's great. You know, we don't do it in front of grandma, but it's absolutely fine, you know, and really encouraged that sort of thing and whereas you know I think again there's still a lot of people that when they see their kids touching themselves at a you know at toddler age get really freaked out by it and just think it's like still putting that shame on their kids like to not do that instead of going yeah this feels great that's fine you know go and relax yourself it's yeah absolutely now I'm like you know actively encouraging it and they're like oh mum please will you shut up and they're like <laughs> finding my uh vibrators in the sink because hygiene is very important when it comes to sex toys it is see my boys hate it I'm, I'm always like look don't do it in a sock can you make sure if you're gonna can you do it in a tissue and they're like oh my god mum will you just shut up I'm like I'm just saying I don't want to have to <laughs> you know I don't want to have to wash your crispy socks that's all no absolutely not they're mortified that I am as open about sex as I am with them but well I think secretly mortified maybe partly okay so tell me about your orgasms now how are they how often do you have orgasms and how has your disability affected your orgasms that there's a lot there isn't there sorry about that no this is a good question so I think there is a notion like when people see me in a wheelchair and I'm with Jace they never I mean, I'm generalising, not all people, but we do get a lot of weird looks, especially if he kisses me, because I just don't think people think he's my partner at first, because people certainly don't think the kids are mine. And I think there is this notion that, well, your legs are broken, you know, they don't work. So surely none of you works. Um, whereas actually the truth is with me is I have absolutely no sensation in my legs. I've always had, like, I've always had sensation in my clitoris and I've also... 
over well I don't think always but I can also like have an orgasm you know from penetrative penetrative my teeth went all weird sex as well but the more sensation I've lost in my legs the more it's kind of almost I feel like it's diverted elsewhere and I've heard this from a couple of people with spinal cord injuries so I now can have like an orgasm just through my nipples and Jace knows now of a night that (laughs) my friends get so annoyed when I tell them yes nipple orgasms that's amazing so basically poor Jace now knows that of an evening I am gonna be expecting like maybe five or six orgasms minimum and he's fine with that which is great but my ability to orgasm now is just ridiculous because I'm not in my own head at all you know I'm like not even thinking about oh what if I make a mess when I come who gives a shit we've got a waterproof sheet on it's all fine sex is messy and it's just been so amazing this sort of just kind of almost discovering my body for the first time in a completely different way you know for years and years just trying to fit in and trying to just be as non-disabled as possible and I think these sort of intimacy and the closeness as well with me and Jace because you know I mean obviously once you have kids with somebody it's very hard you know like he's seen everything and you know I know some people are like oh but isn't that like I don't know isn't that off-putting or whatever but for us it's just made everything like there's no shame there's absolutely zero shame in our relationship with anything that happens and if we have a session and I have soaked the bed then Jace gets up and changes the sheets and it's fine and he's like it was worth it though right and I'm like yeah it was yeah it was okay yeah it was good I'm now having like the best sort of sex the best orgasms of my life and that is mainly down to having a really lovely partner who listens, who isn't selfish in bed, who prioritizes my pleasure and it's also down to the fact that I have no shame about how my body works and how my body looks. And I think every part of my body deserves pleasure and deserves touch. And that's why when people look at me and I see him like, oh, isn't that a shame? And they look at Jace a bit like, oh, isn't that a shame? I think you haven't got a fucking clue about what filthy little dirtbags we are and how many orgasms we have. And I don't talk about it on my Instagram that much because Instagram's always banning me and like shadow banning me for one reason or another. But that's all I want to shout. Like, I'm disabled and I'm having six orgasms a night, all right? There we go. That is inspiring. That's beautiful. And do you know what? It's so true. How often do we hear from disabled people about having sex and enjoying sex and the beautiful mess of having sex? It's just, I just fucking, I mean, obviously I've written a whole book about sex, but I just love hearing about it. And I think it's, you know... Obviously, there are going to be struggles and problems as well. But let's hear about the gloriousness of being disabled and having sex and being able to have orgasms from different parts of your body. It's just beautiful. It's just lovely. It is. And, you know, and it's it's kind of that and having that trust in him and trust with my body and knowing that he has never kind of separated my disability from me. It's never been like, oh, you know, I love Nina, I accept her disability. Like, ugh, no, it's always, this is who I am. And 
that has played into you know our sex life as well and it wasn't always like that I mean we've always had good sex but it I the more I have become comfortable and the more I have been comfortable with prioritizing my needs and saying what I want and saying well actually I'm not done and I want another one and I want you to do this and I never had that confidence growing up that I was allowed to take that control and you know demand more and just demand what I wanted I mean you give you do give Jace a lot of credit and you know I think it's wonderful that he is really into you and it's clearly he doesn't give a shit about you know your disability and stuff but I still I'm still struggling to understand how you stopped being in your head and really started to enjoy that experience how did you get there so I sort of started embracing my disability a lot more obviously when I had my kid but then sort of three four I don't even know what is time anymore but whenever it was when I kind of started talking about this stuff online and talking to other disabled people I mean that helped normalize a lot of the stuff especially when it comes because nobody really talks about incontinence and you know disabled or not you know obviously incontinence affects so many people and and people don't really talk about it so I think one of the first times I spoke about it online it's kind of like every time I've been a little bit vulnerable it's sort of helped me like so the first time I spoke about incontinence online I just wanted to vomit and I was like oh my god I can't believe I'm talking about this on the internet this is awful but then once I had that validation of other people speaking about it it just I don't know it just helped me shed that kind of shame so many people who are disabled have so much shame around it and I don't know I got to the point where I thought okay I can spend keep spending my life worrying about how my body trying to change my body trying to slim down trying to fit in trying to do all this stuff but this makes me sound like a bit of a wanker I'd always rather work on who I am as a person and so I've always seen that as being more of an important thing I work on the person I am work on being a kinder person and more accepting all of those things and I haven't got the time to be worrying about my looks on top of trying to sort out that as well so I think it It was just realising that it's all a lie as well. Everything we're told, how we should be, how we should act, what we should look like. It's all bullshit, made up rules by people just probably trying to make money out of us. And it was just a combination of so many things. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, very similar to you, I found that my online presence and being able to be vulnerable had a huge effect on helping me shed shame and helping me be more open about the things that I was I was scared of facing. I know like Instagram and, and social media gets a really bad sort of reputation, but I feel like it did really help me in terms of who I am today, in terms of embracing my body, in terms of embracing just my whole sort of self-identity. Yeah, it's. I think we all can sort of internalise everything and feel like we're the only people in the world who have something or are dealing with something and you know it can be easy and I think social media can also do this it can give the impression that everybody else has got their shit together like when I certainly haven't got my shit together but yeah I think when you kind of discuss these sort of well they're not taboo topics really are they but when you are talking about this stuff 
it does just normalize it and you realize you know what there's nothing wrong with me just because you know I don't fit into this perceived you know idea of what we're sold of you know what bodies should be and everything else it doesn't mean there's something wrong with me and yeah that was a really sort of freeing moment of do you know what fuck everything I choose to like who I am I choose to like my body I choose to have no shame in the way my body functions because I have no control over it and like I'm a trained counsellor is my sort of trade and, and I'm very much into kind of parts work and inner child work and all of that and you know I always come back to that the shame I'm putting on me is you know would I say that to little me would I say that to 50, you know 15 year old me walked in the room would I be like oh you're gross no of course not so you know that's always a really good reminder for me as well that the way I talk about my body is basically you know would I say that to one of my kids God, no, you know, so I can't be doing that to myself. Exactly. You know, once I had children, I then started to question all of my thoughts and how I perceived the world because I was like, hold on, I don't want her to hide her body or sucking her stomach every time there's a picture taken. It's just fucking bullshit. And they really helped me just be curious about all of the messages that I had received and were getting on a daily basis. So as well as social media, my children really changed that perception like you, it sounds like. I'm thrilled to announce that the most comfortable knickers in the world, Stripe and Stare, are supporting Feeling Yourself. When I want to be comfortable, in my own skin and empowered. It always starts with good underwear. We all know the feeling of wearing uncomfortable knickers, pulling them out of your bum every two minutes, not being able to concentrate because of scratchy fabric cutting in. Well, not for bums in stripe and stare. And I have an exclusive discount for you if you keep listening. Did you know only 3% of the underwear market is sustainably sourced? which is not a great start for something we wear all the time. Stripe and Stare knickers are not only described by over 90% of their customers as the most comfortable knickers in the world, they are also great for the planet too, as they are sourced from beechwood trees, are softer than cotton, and also use 95% less water in their production. You will also be glad to know Stripe and Stare make essential wear and sleepwear too, all from the same soft as a cloud, sustainable fabrics, which I'm adding to my basket next. I have my eye on this lovely tie-dye number. Banish that knicker guilt and shed your underwear shame with Stripe and Stare. And you can get 20% off your next purchase with the code FEELINGYOURSELF. And one last big thank you to the comfiest knickers in the world, Stripe and Stare, for giving me the most comfortable bum and always helping me feel myself. What are some of the myths around orgasms and disability or sex and disability that you think it's important to debunk? I think firstly, you know, just the thing of 
people just don't see disabled people as being sexual people, especially when we look at people with learning disabilities as well, and the laws that have been on disabled bodies around sex. You know, it was literally illegal for people with certain types of learning disabilities to have sex, to have kids. So I think the idea of, yeah. So I still think there's this lingering idea that if you're in a wheelchair that you can't have sex. And I think most people have such a narrow idea of what sex is as well. You know, very much, it's penis and vagina. That's the sex, isn't it? It's like, what? No, (laughs) a little bit more than that. Quite a lot more than that. I think it's people just sort of, just don't see disabled people as having sex. And most of the disabled people I know, especially those, you know, people in relationships and even who aren't, are very much having sex and very much having really good sex. And, you know, I don't know if, you know, if anybody, disabled people will be listening to this, but I think, you know, when you do have a medicalised body, it can be really hard to find the softness and the tenderness and the pleasure in that. And, you know, for me, it was taking it really slow with my body, with the bits especially that had been medicalised and just putting on a really nice moisturiser and touching my feet and seeing how that and just going little by little and getting to know my body away from the medical gaze was really important to me. And I think because disabled people are so erased from any kind of, you know, sex kind of talk that it can feel like, oh, well, then I don't deserve pleasure. And I just would say to, you know, to anybody listening that you absolutely do. You deserve to get to know your body. You deserve to have your body touched in a way that isn't medicalised. And I went to an appointment, I think it was last summer, at a spina bifida clinic. I terribly, I shouldn't say this out loud, but try and avoid doctors and medical stuff as much as possible because medical trauma. But I went to this appointment and it's the first time in a long time that I have been touched by a doctor like you know down my spine and on my back and I fully went back to kind of young me sitting in that room like really kind of closed down and like oh this is horrible I'm really not enjoying this and that night sort of instinctively Jace kind of just knew to really pay attention to my back in this really beautiful way he was stroking it and kissing it and it was very nice and very sexy and lovely and it really kind of reminded me that of the contrast of how I used to feel about my body to how I feel about it now. I want everybody to experience that. Every single person who has just had their body medicalised to be able to experience what it feels like to be touched by yourself or somebody else in a really safe, tender, beautiful way, because that's how it should be. Yeah, absolutely. You just made me cry then. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's all right. You know, having a child who has a disability, she definitely has medical trauma. And I just love the way that you came home and he knew that that was what to do and to just just help you feel in your body again. I just love that. I think it's just so important to be seen as a human you know you're you're not just dealing with the male gaze you're also dealing with the medical gaze that has just been a quite a light bulb moment for me so I really appreciate that thank you but I do want to say even if you haven't got anyone with a disability in your family you don't know anyone I think this chat is still really fucking important for people to be aware of and to know that Disabled people do still have sex and stop looking at them like they're not part of our society. 
what advice could you give to parents of a disabled child? I mean, I think in terms of, you know, if we're talking about, you know, being comfortable with your body and, and everything else is just giving them space for their feelings around medical stuff, because she say like medical trauma is shit and horrible. And sometimes there's nothing you can do about it. My child has health anxiety and, you know, we, we support him through that where we can and, you know, realise that we can't fix it and we don't try to fix it. We just offer him, you know, a really safe space. And we're just, you know, from a very young age, we've been very honest with him about the world and how it views disabled people. And, you know, even things like, you know, when he was very young, I used to take a picture of his back. He's got the same lump on his back as I have, because I remember as a kid, the first time somebody pointed it out to me and went, what's that? I was a bit like, what? (laughs) What do you mean? Can't see. And we never wanted that for him. And we've always just Mm. touched it and stroked it in a nice way. And even down to the language I use, you know, like he wears a, a leg brace on one leg. And growing up, I always had a good leg and a bad leg. And we've never called it his bad leg. He's got a brace leg. That's his brace leg. And that's his leg. You know, to just have open conversations. I mean, no teenager really wants to talk to their parents about sex, but I do think that they listen a little bit before they run away and slam their door and tell you that you're embarrassing and cringe. And I don't know. I think, you know, it's important to talk to all teenagers about sex and about pleasure and and all of that but especially I think with disabled kids because they're just not going to see it anywhere there was a really beautiful moment in sex education where I think it's the first time I've ever seen it where there's a guy in that who's in a wheelchair and you see him talking to this girl about what he likes and where to touch him because he's got a really sensitive neck and I know a few people with spinal cord injuries who can like literally orgasm from having their neck kissed and stuff and I remember as like watching it like oh, wow, this is great. Yes, we need to see more of this. To make disabled teenagers realise that, hey, you know, your pleasure is worthy as well. And I think as parents, it's just being aware of things like the medical gaze and how that would feel and just talking to your kids about it. Because I think once you're just aware and you can name something and you can name a feeling and, ah, this is how you've made me feel about my body. Yeah, that's right. That is how I feel. Then it really, really helps. Because for me, I just internalised all of it. I just swallowed it all down and haven't really unpicked it until like four years ago. So it's exhausting being this old and having to do this much fucking mental work. Thought I'd have it easy in my 40s. I could just relax. (laughs) And also one of the really eye-opening posts you did that really fucking made me stop and think was you said something about your child's medical condition is not yours to fucking just tell everyone about and expose. You're going to have to say it in a much better way than me because I can't articulate exactly what you said, but it really made me stop and think and they deserve confidentiality just like anyone else does. And it's not our right to start fucking throwing that around on social media. Like I'm generalising here, but sometimes parents centre themselves in the kind of whole disability chat. And I find that very problematic. It's like, yes, it might be difficult to parent a child with anything, whether it's a disability or whether it's a mental health issue or anything like that. It can be difficult. But fucking hell, think about them like I just think let's think about it from their perspective and you have really helped me in that and I really want to thank you for that. Thank you. Well, I I was that parent, you know, like when I was pregnant with my son, as soon as we got the diagnosis at the 20-week scan that he had what I had, we were offered an abortion and I was like, 
no. And then we were offered abortion, you know, every single appointment pretty much up to who was born because that's still allowed when it's spine bifida, which is what I've got. So I get it. So when he was born, I did want to shout about it from the rooftops and I documented everything, every physio appointment, everything else. And then as I started to lose my mobility and couldn't hide my disability anymore, Every time I'd go out, people would say, you know, what's wrong with you? What have you done? And I would answer them. I would tell them because I just thought I had to be polite and nice. But then as my kid got to school and people started asking him those questions and he was getting really frustrated and sad about it, then my mama bear instinct kicked in and I was like, well, fuck this shit. You do not have to answer. But then I was like, oh, but I'm sharing all about it on the internet though. So he could not answer. And then somebody could go onto my page and see his last appointment. Like that's not right. So I had to really kind of look at what I had been doing and to really realize, you know, no, I do not have any right to share his story. And I will, you know, I've obviously mentioned him today and I I do sort of mention him, but I'm very conscious of what I'm mentioning. And you know, he for the rest of his life is going to get people asking him. He's already at the point where he won't wear school shorts to school now because he just can't be fucked with people constantly asking about his leg brace. And I get it and it makes me so sad, but I get it because it is boring just when you want to play and you just want to go about your day. So yeah, I'm really passionate that, you know, disabled people are seen as medical curiosities. We've been seen as sideshow freaks and, you know, people still feel like they can come and ask me really intrusive questions and it's bullshit. I will talk about my spina bifida when I want to, because that's my choice, but I do not want to tell some stranger about it. So yeah, it's been really important for me that his medical stuff gets to be his and that he can choose who he tells and who he doesn't because there is so much that's out of control for a disabled kid so much they have no input over so you know to be able to give him that little bit you know this is your story and that's really special and when we make friends with people we exchange secrets with each other you know we exchange little tidbits about ourselves and I'm not taking that away from him by telling his story for him exactly but also what I love about you is that you you open up the space for people to be vulnerable about maybe they didn't do it right. You've admitted that you have changed your whole sort of thinking on it as well, which just enables people to sort of, you know, just go, okay, like I'm going to change how I do this. It's okay to not be perfect. It's okay to fuck up. You know, you're not going to get it right all the time, but ask questions, allow yourself to be wrong sometimes and just learn and grow you know and parenting is so fucking hard nobody has all the answers nobody really knows what they're doing and I think for the majority of people we are all just trying our best with the tools that we've got so when you're presented with new information you know I think sometimes it can be tempting to buckle down and go well no you know how dare you tell me how to parent my child but for the most part I've got such a lot of lovely parents who follow my page you know who come and talk to me and you know it's my opinion doesn't necessarily mean I'm right about all of this stuff either you know it's just that thing for everything isn't it when you know better you do better because we all fuck up with everything And for me, it's like, okay, well, what do you do if the new, you know, it's more about what you do with the new information that's the important bit. Because then if you're still doubling down and going, nah, then you're probably a bit, you know, I was going to really swear then. I had to stop myself. I was going to drop this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Do you know what? It has been such a bloody treat to talk to you. I've just loved it. You've just, yeah. 
I do want to end on like some quick fire questions just to round us off. Unless there was anything else that you thought it was important to add or you good for me to carry on? I just want to say to you, Nat, that I really appreciate you inviting me on because it's not very common for for disability to get a platform and for this sort of conversation to be had. And I think it's a really important conversation. So I just really appreciate you. That's all. Thank you. I mean, this is like meeting Bross for the first time and getting a kiss on my cheek and not washing it for days. So <laughs> I'll, I'll totally snog you when I finally get to see you in real life. So. Oh my God. I will die. I will literally die. <laughs> okay, right. Now I'm going to stop blushing and go for the quick fire questions. <laughs> okay. So, uh, your most awkward sexual encounter. So I was 20. This guy, he looked like he was out of the, no, I was older than that. I was 22. I think he looked like he was out of the verve. He had the long hair, really fancied him, clearly didn't know what he was doing. And he kind of fed the pony so hard (laughs) that I fell off the bed. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I told that story so badly because actually what happened was we were kissing in my lounge. I went to the toilet. I come back. He'd like undone his shirt and was laid on the floor like this, waiting, which was weird. Yeah. And then for some reason, I still took that into the bedroom and yeah, fed the horse off the bed. (laughs) That was awkward. That is hilarious. Who is your most embarrassing celebrity crush? Oh my God. Right. So this is literally, I don't know if this is, I'm embarrassed by this because it's literally only happened over the last two days. For some reason, TikTok has shown me nothing but Harry Styles videos off his new concert. And now I'm a little bit hot and bothered about Harry Styles. And I'm like, oh my God, that's gross. He's like a child. Yes. I was thinking this. I was watching like all my friends at his concert recently and I was like, That's a little bit weird. But anyway, he is an adult, so I think we'll let you off that. That would be great. Thank you. Uh, Another one. What is your biggest turn off? Oh, bad breath. Oh, yeah. Do you never have bad breath in the morning? Yeah, of course I do. It doesn't count if it's me. Like, I'm an angel. (laughs) Okay, what's your biggest turn on except Harry Styles and the verve? I'm a little bit of a sort of subby brat and I'm slowly bringing the dom out of Jace. Ooh. So basically anytime Jace just slightly sort of tells me what to do, I'm like, oh my God, I love you so much. It's so hot. I keep trying to explain to him that he doesn't quite realise how much power he has around the house. I'm like, because he does everything, Jace. He's so good. And I'm like, babe, you just tell me what to do. And you know that I'd just be like, okay, Jason. But yeah, he hasn't quite harnessed it and realised the power he has. Hearing my name as well, like it when people say my name, Getting a a little bit hot and bothered now. Uh, Yeah, exactly. We need to stop flirting. I presume that Jace is a little bit too nice to take the real sort of dom role. Is that the problem? Yeah, well, I wouldn't say it's a problem. We kind of very much, I am probably the one who wears the trousers in the general sense of things in our relationship. That surprises me, Nina. That surprises me. You're completely surprised by that. (laughs) a really bad term as well isn't it but I am you know obviously quite loud and in control but yeah we are starting to get to the point where now I'm like babe this is your domain now you take control of this and he started to get like okay yeah this is good okay we're into this so yeah don't know if he's going to kill me for saying that no he won't it'll be fine yeah (laughs) 
<laughs> that is brilliant. Do you know what? It's been such an honour and a pleasure and a delight to talk to you. Thank you for sharing and for being so wonderful and open and gobby and sweary and the Will Housewife of Essex. It has been amazing. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. I've loved it. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Feeling Yourself. I really hope that by sharing my story and those of my guests, we can further the conversation around shedding shame and start to prioritise our pleasure collectively. I have loved hearing everyone's responses to my book. Oh my God, it was so difficult to write, but ultimately very, very healing. And hearing all of your amazing feedback has just made it even more worthwhile. And Stripe and Stare have also kindly offered to give away a box of four of the most incredible knickers to one of our listeners each week. All you need to do is tag me on Instagram at StyleMeSunday with your copy of my book and I'll pick one of you at random each week. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave us a great review. It really helps others to find us and could help someone else on their journey to shed their shame too. I'll see you next time. Until then, I hope you all enjoy feeling yourself.